Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast with your girl, Stephanie Hardy. If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining the ride. And if this isn't your first time listening, thank you for continuing on this journey of crazy professional wrestling with me. Um, So in this episode, I've got your regular news and gossip-ish, and I have an incredibly special conversation with WWE Hall of Famer Teddy Long, and I have a Women's History Month highlight of Miss AJ Lee, um, who was at one point the longest reigning Divas Championship and a mental health advocate. So sit back, relax, and listen to this beautiful episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. Right. So here in news and gossipish, there's a little bit um, going on, but we're going to talk about it and get through it together. So today, um, Chelsea Green, who's a WWE superstar who started off on SmackDown, but then got injured, um, shared a picture of herself in a bikini on her Instagram account on Thursday. And apparently it upset one of her followers who told her to stop posting pictures and get back in the ring. And this fan was quoted as saying, um, stop posting bikini pics and get back in the ring and saying, believe it or not, there's a small percentage of people who'd actually enjoy women's wrestling to be taken seriously instead of a joke like it is currently. It's all about skin and superficial stuff and it doesn't help its case at all. But in response to all of that, um... In response to that criticism, Chelsea Green then posted a picture of herself with blonde hair um, in the ring with an opponent with a bloody ear and a bloody forehead, along with a picture of herself in a bikini. And other women, such as Taya Valkyrie, who just got signed to WWE, Dana Brooke, Naomi, and Tanara Conti posted pictures of themselves in bikinis and um, and in different swimsuits and stuff like that, along with bruises that they have sustained or injuries that they may have sustained in the ring. 
you have Naomi with a black eye um, or a bro- broken eye socket. And then you had um, Diana Perrazzo who posted herself, you know, I believe with her arm broken and actually with a scar underneath her eye with a black eye. And even Mia Yim, who is um, a part of Retribution now with a broken nose. And like just so many of these women, you know, commented and sort of responded by showing pictures of themselves going through the worst injuries you know that you would ever you know sustain as an athlete along with bikini pictures which is basically them showing that as a woman you are able to do both at the same time you can be sexy and you also can be an athlete and sustain as much pain you know if not more pain than men do in terms of wrestling and considering this is women's history month and you know, this is a, a time in which we're celebrating the contributions of women of all shapes and sizes and races and creeds and everything in wrestling. This isn't a time for men to try to come at us and tell us what we can and cannot do with our bodies. You know, you shouldn't do it anyway, but definitely not not during Women's History Month. You need to chill. So um, I thought it was cool how all of these women's wrestlers, you know, were showing that they were on Chelsea's side here and just showed like solidarity in the fact that, you know, they believe that you can be multidimensional as a woman and you're not expected to be, you know, one specific way. Um, you can be sexy, but then you also can be a rough and tumble athlete that will kick somebody's behind. So to any troll, you know, keep your negative comments to yourself and just let women live and be themselves. Okay, okay, okay. So, um, also in the news, we have um, the unfortunate passing of Jim Crockett Jr., who is a legendary wrestling promoter. Um, WWE announced um, that his death on Thursday. Um, he passed away at the age of 76. And it was first announced by Rock and Roll Express member Robert Gibson on Facebook. And David Meltzer had um, reported the last week that Jim Crockett was in grave condition due to liver and kidney failure. And WWNAW and NWA also released their statements. Um, AEW stated that AEW and the wrestling world mourned the passing of the legendary Mid-Atlantic Wrestling and NWA promoter Jim Crockett Jr. Our thoughts are with his family, friends, and fans. Now, Jim Crockett, for those who do who may not know who he is, he took over Jim Crockett promotions from his father, um, Jim Crockett Sr., upon his death in 1973. And he served three terms as the NWA, um, the National Wrestling Alliance president from 1980 to 1991, and began referring to Jim Crockett promotions as the NWA. Um, he eventually sold Jim Crockett promotions to Ted Turner in 1988, which... Um, transformed Jim Crockett Promotions into World Championship Wrestling or WCW. Um, He acquired several NWA related territories during his time as owner of JCP and he also helped cultivate some of the biggest stars, ideas and events in wrestling history. And some of those performers were Nature Boy Ric Flair, um, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, and Barry Windham, basically the Four Horsemen, as well as Dusty Rhodes, the Road Warriors, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and Harley Race. And he also had a hand in creating the Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Cup Tag Team Tournament, which ran from 1986 to 1988 before being resurrected in present-day NWA in 2019. And he was at the helm for creating WCW's top pay-per-view Starcade, as well as Clash of Champions. So, um, we 
wish the Crockett family love and healing here on the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. I know it's never easy to lose a loved one. And um, I just hope that they have the peace and the healing that they need in order to get past this difficult time. Also in the news, um, which which is something a little bit more lighthearted, if you think about it, it's a little bit crazy. You have the beef between Randy Orton and Soldier Boy. Now, I never, when I mentioned a month or two ago about rap and wrestling becoming a thing, I never imagined that this would be it and it would escalate this far to this point. And I almost feel like I have to apologize for egging this on i mean even though i didn't think this was gonna happen i feel like a part of me has to apologize for even egging this on because now it's sort of escalated into um a way that i never imagined so um i don't know who soldier boy was directing this tweet to but he tweeted um he tweeted out something that said rap game faker than wwe and it caught on fire and it caught the attention of T-Bar from Retribution on Monday Night Raw. And he basically responded to this tweet by saying, does the rap game take years off of your life and leave you with countless injuries and debilitating pain? Oh, well, maybe just stick to super soaking hose or whatever it is you did 15 years ago, which is making reference to his song, um, Crank That Soldier Boy, which was his biggest hit, you know, that Soldier Boy came out with 15 years ago when I was like in high school. It's so weird. But then um, Randy Orton responded with um, with T-Bar's tweet and said, fake, dare this prick to step up. He don't like movies. Consider us actors that do stunts without pads 200 days a year and don't be and don't be word when we get surgically repaired and come right back. Consider us 100 times tougher than anyone you've come across. Ain't nothing but a B-A word. And a lot of people on Twitter, you know, took a little bit of offense to that because he was insulting Soldier Boy, but didn't continue, you know, the word B word, A word and thought that maybe he was wanted to finish it by calling him, you know, the N word, but he didn't. So then he went on to say, P.S. at San Benito, a.k.a. Bad Bunny would beat the F out of you. Why? How? Because he's seen our world. He respects it and knows what it takes and finds himself lucky to be a part of it. You want to talk fake? Pawn that cheap A-word chain and come work for it, you one-hit wonder A-word MF-er. And I was just like, dang. And then Soldier Boy responded by saying, do you know who the F I am? I'll bring the real in all caps to wrestling. Don't play with me. Randy Orton. Like, and then... Randy Orton responded by saying, Crank that came out in 2007. You had a hell of a year. Serious cash. Hats off to you, my dude. Here's the thing, though. I like rap. I bump that ish all day, whether it's Toonchi, referring to Lil Wayne, Meek Mill, and Jay-Z. But you call what I do to survive fake? F that. Come to my world and say that. Daria. And then Soldier Boy responded by saying, if you mad because I spit facts, just say that. What you do is fake in all caps. And I stand on that. What I do is real. Come to your world. LOL. Welcome to Soldier World. And I was just like, what? And then Randy responded by saying, you spitting facts. Seems like all you spitting is the same mess you rap about. Um, And this is what he said. Nut. Clear your throat, my dog, and be there. Enough talk. Back it up. Then Bow Wow decided (laughs) 
to get in on it and say, yo, at Soldier Boy, these wrestlers are terrified. I've been giving them the business since I announced I was training. They so scared, we gonna take all they shine. And then he said, hey, Soldier Boy, the thing is we call our own shots and work for ourselves. They got to check in with their boss in order to make things happen. At Triple H, we ready to fight. And then he said, yo, T-Bar, you're a funny guy. And then T-Bar co commented by saying, I don't understand what's happening. And then Bow Wow said, that's what you'll be thinking once I'm champ. And then he's and then T-Bar responded by calling him, thank you, Paw Patrol. How is training going? And that had me weep when he called him Paw Patrol. And then he said, I'm slimming down, getting in shape first. The process has started. Paw Patrol, that was a good one. Who's your ghost writer? And then Soulja Boy said, that's a fact, though. Tell me why the WWE in their feelings for gang. Wrestler or not, I'm sliding. And then Bow Wow said, um, somebody... Um, by the name of Roll Tide Roll commented and said, I got my money on Randy in a handicap match against Bow Wow and Soldier Boy. And then Bow Wow responded by saying, no way we lose that match. And then somebody else commented and said, nah, son, this is a setup for WrestleMania. Soldier Boy and Bow Wow versus Randy Orton in a handicap match. And then Bow Wow responded by saying, y'all don't want to see Randy Orton take that L, bro. Soldier Boy, one, two, three. And I was just taken aback at how seriously these people was just going back and forth about it and the thing that bothers me the most is just the fact that soldier boy was calling wrestling fake and someone who i respect in the podcasting game um literally said that the reason why soldier boy said that is because there are elements to wrestling that are supposedly fake or whatever because you're not doing you're not doing wrestling in order to get people hurt and wrestling is not fake when you have somebody like Rand, when you say that and then you see somebody like randy orton whose grandfather and father came up in the business you know and had to deal with so much within their business and probably had to deal with multiple injuries at a time even himself having to deal with multiple injuries at a time and mental health problems and all that other stuff you can't just say that a sport like that that's been his whole life is fake and any and I even get kind of mad whenever people say that wrestling's fake because I know as a fan you know, that when it comes to wrestling, there's so much stuff that you can go through in terms of injuries. And there are some people who are injured so bad to the point where they can't even walk anymore or can barely move their neck anymore. And you call it fake. Like, it's just the worst thing on the, in the world for you to call it fake. And you don't and you have no idea. You're like from the outside looking in and you just really need to stop that. Um, because. I always feel like any person that calls wrestling fake fails to see that just about everything you watch on television is relatively fake, like elements to like your t your TV shows, reality shows, like everything is basically scripted. And yeah, wrestling is scripted to a certain degree. But at the very same time, you can't say that what they do is absolutely fake, because if it was really that easy, then everybody would be a wrestler and everybody can't be a wrestler. So therefore, I just feel like if you're being disrespectful to their art form, then you're just choosing to be a troll at that point. And Soldier Boy would not last in a wrestling ring. I just don't think so. And then somebody else, you know, and then someone else said they really don't feel like Bow Wow is actually training. I don't know what he's actually doing, but I literally feel like if you're trolling the same business that you claim you want to be a part of, then you're not just being you're not being real about it. And you just need to hush and just leave these people alone and just stop trying to, you know, egg them on and just treat them like crap. 
also in the news, because <laughs> that was a long time. That was a whole lot to say about that one little story. Also in the news, we have Bobby Lashley celebrating his WWE Championship win from this past Monday against the Miz in a um, lumberjack match. And he released a statement on Instagram saying, sometimes you have to fight for the things that are important to you. When I made my return to WWE, I told myself I will be WWE champion one day and I'm willing to fight for it. Nothing in life is certain and sometimes you can't control the outcome of things, but there were a couple of things I could control. I could control the work I put in and the attitude I had while doing it. My attitude has always been positive and my drive has always been second to none. This night is easily one of the greatest nights of my life. I effing did it. I can't even put into words what this title means to me. I'm still numb yet filled with so much emotion right now. I have so many people I want to thank personally and for all of you who believed in me. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Hard work and persistence does pay off, but I'm not done yet. I was born for this. I'm a warrior and I'm ready to stand and fight any and everyone who wants to come after this title. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back on the grind so I can make this title run legendary. I'm in. Hashtag the Hurt Business. I'm your new WWE champion. And a lot of people were celebrating it, including um, MVP and definitely including Leo Rush, who used to be his hype man when he came back to the WWE and he would come out and chant Lashley, Lashley. And then he actually posted a video of him chanting Lashley and him kind of having to clear his throat and do it in his same little voice that he used to do it. And it's so funny because I'm just like, man, I miss him. Like he would have been a really good addition to the Hurt Business, you know, if he had stayed. But, you know, Leo Rush is still, you know, doing his thing on the indies. But it was good that he actually chimed in to give Lashley, you know, his props and celebrate him. Um, and even Impact Wrestling released a tweet where they showed all of his championship winning moments over there. So we want to give a great congratulations to Bobby Lashley. Um, he is now the third um, African-American person to win the WWE Championship next to The Rock and also Kofi Kingston. And he's probably, I believe, the sixth black man overall to win a world championship in WWE. So here's hoping that he won't be the last. And if they do do another one, here's hoping that they don't wait over 11 years for the next one. I want to see him versus Keith Lee. Um, so that'll be cool. Also in the news, we have the rumor that NXT is moving to Tuesdays. Um, amid a ratings battle with AEW, even though I doubt it has anything to do with that. But according to the Matt Men Pro Wrestling Podcast, um, they reported that NXT could be shifting to Tuesday nights as early as April the 13th. And they first announced, of course, in 2019, it was going to air every Wednesday night like they used to do on the WWE Network on the USA Network. And many people believe the decision was made with AEW in mind since promotion had already staked out Wednesday night to debut on its own weekly programming. But even though um, NXT has its own following, you know, on Wednesday nights, of course, it has lower ratings than um, AEW's Dynamite. But here's the thing. I literally feel like even though um, NXT has had lower ratings than AEW, I don't feel like NXT is really looking to try to compete with them because they have two totally different purposes. NXT is meant to introduce people to who's going to be the future of the business. And it's more of a developmental ish brand. And AEW is meant to be like this um, 
whole other promotion, you know, that's trying to compete with the WWE. And I literally feel like if you want, if AEW truly does want to compete, then they would probably do better moving to like, you know, Mondays or Fridays whenever WWE has their bigger, you know, programming shows like SmackDown or Raw just to prove, you know, it's worth or to prove, you know, who would watch what, you know, because when it comes to NXT, there's a certain audience of people who will watch NXT, like diehard fans like me who've been watching it for years or like or like diehard wrestling fans who will watch that stuff, who's watched it from the beginning and really just want to continue looking at it. Whereas suppose people Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details who will watch AEW or maybe people who will watch Raw or SmackDown are more so casual fans. And I'm just not sure if mostly, and this is not a diss towards AEW, but I'm not sure if casual fans would want to like watch AEW full, and it's full of people that they don't know. So I feel like if AEW really does want to prove that it's, you know, the new hottest promotion, then maybe they would do better if they move to Monday or Friday and compete with the two flagship shows. But, you know, I'm just a fan sort of looking from the outside. So I don't know. Um, Also, there's this rumor that on AEW Revolution, they have a show, um, a pay-per-view happening Sunday. Um, Paul White, a.k.a. The Big Show, announced that they're supposed to be, he announced Wednesday, that they're supposed to be a new um, Hall of Fame worthy talent who's signed to AEW and going to reveal his existence and reveal what he or she is going to be doing, you know, in AEW. And a lot of people said they felt like it was going to be Batista, but he proceeded to debunk that rumor by basically saying, um, by tweeting, by saying they're going to have to come up with another word that's used specifically for professional wrestlers who actually mean it when they say they're retired. Currently, the word retired has zero credibility by professional wrestling standards. So he basically said that it's not him and he has yet to be inducted into the Hall of Fame considering he was supposed to go in last year. But since the pandemic started, they postponed that Hall of Fame ceremony. 
So basically, he's basically come out and said that it's not him. He's probably got other stuff going on, you know, with Marvel and movies and stuff. So it's probably it's definitely not him. A lot of people online were also saying they feel like it might be either AJ Lee or CM Punk. But it's just one of those wait and see things. So we'll just have to look and see, you know, who it's going to be. So that's pretty much all that's going on with news and gossipish. And now we're going to go to my interview with WWE Hall of Famer, Teddy Long. All right. So thank you for coming to the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. How are you, sir? I'm very good today. And thank you for having me. Oh, more, most definitely. You are a legend and I am blessed to be in your presence right now. So I want to ask you, um, when exactly did you fall in love with wrestling? <laughs> I never fell in love with wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> I fell in love with Tasha Long. She's my wife. All right. Uh, uh, here's the deal. Uh, I started 18, uh, 1982, 83. Uh, I started going down to the uh, TBS studios here in Atlanta, Georgia, and just watching the TV tapings on Saturday mornings. And uh, so one day I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. There was a wrestler that uh, wasn't familiar with Atlanta and he needed somebody to show him around. And so he just happened to start come up to me and start talking to me. And so I started showing him around. And on Saturday mornings, when he would come to the TV station for the TV taping, then he would always have me with him. And so that's how I got, I was able to get in the back where everybody was because I was with this guy. So by me being in the back and everything, you know, I just kind of minded my own business and I would find stuff to do, you know, to keep myself busy. And to make a long story short is uh, they uh, came up with a, I was, the first thing I was doing is I would go to the ring and get the, when the guys would take off their jackets and clothing I would, and that gear, I would take it and bring it back to the locker room. Well, they kind of liked me for that because a lot of guys had been losing their gear. Nobody was picking it up. And sometimes the fans there would pick up the gear and wouldn't give it back. So they appreciated me for getting their gear. And so I started like running errands and stuff, you know, kind of like a gopher. And then uh, one day, day they had a job to come open and that job that came open was uh, they needed somebody to put up the ring, take the ring down. Mm -hmm. So I started doing that. And uh, after I got that job, then I took the ring to uh, Marietta, Georgia one night and we were at the Cobb Civic Center. And I got the ring up and around showtime, there was no referee, the referee didn't show up. So the promoter came out and she said, Teddy Long, uh, you're going to have to referee tonight. So I said, I don't know anything about referee. And she said, don't worry about it. I said, just get in there. The guys will talk to you. They'll take care of you. So I had my first match in uh, Cobb Civic Center. It was Black Bart and Ron Bass. And it was a Texas death match. And they were bleeding all over the place. And they scared me to death. Aww. So it, the first mistake I made is they scared me so bad, I jumped out of the ring and left them. Then I heard the guy that was ringing the bell, Charlie McGowan, he's yelling at me, get back in the ring, get back in the ring. So I finally got it together and I got back in the ring and I never forget, I I, I heard Ron Bass say out of his mouth, I never, he said, dude, he told Ron Bass, he told Black Party, he said, did you see what the referee just done? He just left us. <laughs> so ended up, I got back in the ring and I finished that match off, but that was the first match I had for Ron Bass and Black Bart. And that was how I started refereeing. So then my referee career went into uh, 
managing. And the way I got into that is I was riding with Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, uh, God rest his soul, and Kevin Sullivan. And I'll give you a little bit more about Kevin, because me and Kevin, you know, I guess what goes around comes around. Me and him are back together, working together right now. But we'll talk about that a little later. But anyway, like I said, I was with Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, Kevin Sullivan, and my career was in radio. I was a disc jockey in Birmingham, Alabama at WJLD. Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably don't remember none of this. You wouldn't. You probably weren't even born. Uh, but they had a station at WENN, when I worked at that radio station in Birmingham. So I was a disc jockey there. So I used to let Kevin and Eddie Gilbert know I could DJ. So while we were going up and down the road, we'd get the car and get a case of beer and we'd get to drinking and I started DJing for them. And they saw, they found out that I could talk. And so they ended up getting me into managing. They went back and told the bookers that I could talk. And so after that, then that's how I ended up with, uh, let's see, I think the first person I had was uh, Johnny B. Bad. I had him, Mark Merrill. He was a guy that kind of looked like Little Richard. Yeah. And uh, I never will forget uh, the first night I met him and uh, Dusty Rose, God rest his soul. Dusty gave me my first job too, you know, I owe a lot to him. He gave me my first job as refereeing. And then he did a whole lot for me, you know, after I start, you know, after we got together and I started doing a lot of other things. But anyway, Dusty was gonna call Johnny B. Bad Tutti Fruity. And he come to me and he said, can you think of something else they could call me? He said, they wanna call me Tutti Fruity. And he didn't like that. So we and him sit down and I thought of this little thing. I said, all the fly guys will be mad and all the fly girls will be glad. Get ready for Johnny B. Bad. And that's what we went and told Dusty and he liked it. And that's how the name came about. That's how we started using that. And then I had Johnny B. Bad. I managed him. I had a lot of these guys I ain't gonna even mention because a lot of people now probably don't even know him. But I'm trying to get back to some guys that people know. Uh, Butch Reed and Ron Simmons. I happened to be with them, the team of doom. And uh, we, 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 we run rough shot over everybody. The Steiners, we had a good, you know, great matches with them. Freebirds, Rock and Roll Express, uh, Midnight Express, you know, we, we went through them all. So we had a great, and the Road Warriors on them. Let me leave them out. Simmons, um, Craig Pittman, Sergeant Craig Pittman, Ice Train. Uh, Jesus Christ, I j- jump into <laughs> uh, I had a lot of people. Then I had, then I went to WWE and I started, when, when I first went there, I started refereeing because Vince didn't really know me. And so I was just refereeing. And so I think they had a meeting one day and somebody told Vince what I could do. And that's how I ended up uh, starting managing in WWE. So I had Mark Henry, uh, Jazz, Rodney Mack, uh, and all these people I'm having, to, I'm working with right now. So it's just amazing how everything goes around in a circle. Yeah, it's funny because the first time I ever saw you, because um, you did mention how I am young, I'm 27. So yeah. the first time I ever saw you, you know, you were managing for Rodney Mack and Jazz. And I remember seeing you and I was just like, man, he has a lot of style and a lot of attitude. <laughs> and, well, yeah, well, that, so, that's my role, you know, that's what that was. And, and that's why I was able to, to work in WWE for a long, long time. Because my character was basically me, you know, they just told told me what they kind of wanted. And so I come from the street. So, you know, I, I already had that swag. So I knew exactly, you know, what to do. So that's why I was so good at what I did because I was comfortable. It was me, you know, I wasn't putting on or trying to be something that I wasn't. So uh, yeah, I had a good time with Jazz and Rodney. And then, like I said, Mark Henry was part of that stable. Right. So we, we had a great run. 
Yeah, and it's so funny because I remember seeing you. I felt like it was kind of like a kindred spirit because it felt like I remember seeing, you know, men like that, you know, at church and sort of just hanging out, you know, at the barbershops and everything. So it felt like when I saw you, I was just like, you know what? He seems like he would be a really cool dude in real life. So, you know, I appreciated, you know, seeing that, you know, growing up. And you mentioned, you know, how you worked as a DJ in Birmingham, which is also where I'm from. And yeah. when you mentioned WJLD, that's where my, my grandma used to listen to those church services they would do, you know, whenever she wouldn't feel like going to church, you know, physically, yeah. she would listen to church services on that radio station on the AM dial. Now, I'm not necessarily sure if they exist, you know, anymore, but you mentioned all of that. And I wanted to ask you, what were some experiences that you remember um, growing up in, here in Birmingham, sir? Well, uh, a lot of experience I remember growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, you know, they wasn't really good because I was kind of a thug in Birmingham, Alabama. I was bad, you know what I mean? <laughs> trouble all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and <laughs> I'm just being straight up with you. I just stayed in trouble. But, you know, that come from, you know, my parents, uh, they died at a real young, well, when I was real young. So I didn't have a chance to, you know, grow up in a home, you know, where there was a mother and dad. So, I, you know, I really wasn't raised, so I had to kind of raise myself. So I went to the streets, and that's what all I knew was the streets. So, you know, that was the only way I knew how to survive. So by me not having any parents, you know, that played a lot. And so, but God blessed me to, you know, kind of get through a lot of things. And so right now, you know, here I am, and I'm still alive. Yes, sir. And I'm glad to see that, you know, and I'm really happy that you have sort of lived your life as an example, you know, of rising from that and, you know, making and you being blessed for your life to be the, where it is. So I wanted to ask you, you know, as a referee, what was it like to sort of see matches, you know, in action? Because from the outside looking in, you're watching it as a viewer and as a fan. But what is it like, you know, refereeing and watching matches from the inside? Well, it's, it's really good because, you know, when you're in there, you know, everybody, you know, basically has to be on the same page. And uh, you know what I mean? You know, a lot of guys think just cause the guy got on stripes, you know, he don't really have a hard job. Yeah, you got a hard job because you gotta keep up with him. Uh, you gotta be in the right place at the right time, you know, and you gotta know what to do in certain situations. Uh, I remember one time I was refereeing uh, Spike Dudley and uh, he threw this guy right outside and the guy was outside of the ring and I looked at Spike and he says, what do I do next? And I just say, hey, baseball slide. And I just <laughs> And that's what he did. And he come back and he thanked me. He said, God, I forgot. I didn't know what to do out there, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's the whole thing, you know, it's a job. And every, you know, it, ain't no one single person in there. Everybody in there is a team and everybody needs to be on the same page. And if you got that, you know, you you got a good match. And I can give you an incident there, the, the, the Flair and Steamboat thing, the Chi-Town Heat, where I was able to be a part of that. That was a big moment in my life. So, I, you know, to, to come down and do that, especially back in the day then, working with the top stars, you know, that, that was really good. Okay. So did you ever imagine yourself, you know, being a manager when that idea was brought to you? Or um, how did you feel when they brought that idea to you, sir? Well, um, the way I got that idea is I had... Um, Kevin Sullivan and uh, Eddie Gilbert, they went and took care of that. And they and the next thing, Jim Hurd at the time was the man that was in charge. So the next thing I knew, I mean, I didn't even know, you know, when they come and brought that to me, they told me, you know, they were going to start getting, starting me to manage. So they had me to go out and like scout and look at different talent. And then from that, 
then I the first thing I did was did the heel turn where I turned on the road warriors and then I went bad and then that's when they started me to managing. Mm -hmm. So at that particular time, you know, I really didn't have a clue about the wrestling business, you know what I mean? But I was just able to learn. So I was able to stay there and listen. So like I said, my gift of gab got me through. They already back then, you know, right now we have writers, you know, have people that write for us. Well, back then there were no writers. So they would just give you the points of what they wanted to talk about and you had to run with it from there. So I was able to ad lib and do a lot of the stuff on my own, which made it real easy for me, you know what I mean? Cause I was just mm -hmm. giving a lot of playing from the street. And uh, you know, it was just, it was just a good time for me. You know, it was a big, you know, a lot on me, but you know, like I said, the opportunity doesn't knock for one. So you got to know when that, when that knock comes and you got to take advantage of it. And that's what I did. Okay. So who was your favorite um, wrestler or favorite team to manage? Uh, my favorite team to manage was Butch and Ron. I, I, I had a lot of fun with them. You know, they were great, uh, especially with Butch. God rest his soul. He just mm -hmm. left us, you know. Uh, God, because he was so comical. Boy, he, he was just a mess. And he was so serious, too. That was the funny part about it. And uh, I never would, uh, here's a good Butch Reed story. I remember one night we wrestled in Boston, I believe it was. And so they had, after we were done, you know, Butch had got, on, got out of his wrestling gear and, he, you know, put on his street clothes and put on cologne. You know, he's all ready to go to the bar. So they had me go rib him and they had me go tell him, Butch, somebody didn't show up and uh, Ron, you guys gonna have to work twice. Mm -hmm. So now he's really hot. He's cussing, I mean, he's hot, but you know, so I get away, so finally, he gets out of his out of his street clothes, puts on his wrestling gear, tapes his arms up. He's ready to go, and it's it's a rib, you know. It's a lie that I went and told him, and he found out that I had ribbed him. So I, I had to stay away from him for about a week because he's gonna kill me. Oh wow! I mean, every arena I had to hide from him because he was looking for me. But until we went out, he wouldn't bother me out when we were out there. But he'd look at me. I'm gonna get you. <laughs> <laughs> but he was such such fun to be with and i had a chance to see him you know uh last year i think uh, we did a him and run and i did a, a, a virtual signing and uh, uh autograph deal and uh we had fun with him butch hadn't changed he's the same old butch so uh but they were the you know good team i had to manage uh i had a decent good time with uh sid bishop and danny spivey at the skyscrapers at that time and uh, they were good, but, and then Undertaker came and replaced Sid, so I had Taker, and well, he was mean Mark Callis then, and I had mm -hmm. him and Danny Spivey. Then Taker went to be a single mean Mark, so I managed him as mean Mark, and then he left WW, uh, WCW and he went to Vince, and who I, I never thought I'd be there working with him all over again, and especially in a good big storyline that me and him had where he kidnapped me and all that <laughs> stuff, so just a lot of fun. Yeah, I remember that story, and that was during your time as the um, general manager of SmackDown, right? Yes, yes. Okay, so I want to ask you, what were some of your favorite moments from being the general manager of SmackDown? And you were pretty historic, because you were the first black general manager WWE ever had. So what yeah. were some experiences you had with that, and what was your favorite moments from that era? Well, my favorite moments was, uh, I'm, you know, I'll be honest with you, every last one of them, I had fun at everything that I did, you know what I mean? Because... I was able to make Vince happy and, uh, you know, like behind the scenes, they would always tell you, you know, man, you know, you, you ain't gonna get Vince. So if you can make Vince laugh, he, they said, you got it. And I had him busting out one day, man. So, you know what I mean? But, you know, just to know that I, you know, had him, you know, I didn't let that, I didn't take advantage of that. I still did my job. 
But the amazing time I had with Vicky Guerrero, those were good times where she, uh, I was pushing around in the wheelchair and they took over SmackDown and all that. That was great, a great time there. Uh, like especially with the with the Taker deal, I had a great with the kidnapping and me in the coffin and all that stuff. That was a whole lot of fun. I had a lot of fun doing that, so it didn't bother me at all. So like everything that I did on SmackDown, I enjoyed every moment of it. I remember Drew McIntyre. I was doing some stuff with him. He was the chosen one, and he had me crawling around on my knees in the ring, you know. And you know, the thing that really got me, I told him to mention something about my grandkids, because every man loves his grandkids. And so I told him, say, say you're going to say something about my grandkids. So now that makes me turn around. Now I got to get on board. You know, don't mess with the grandkids or whatever you right. want to do. So it has to be real. You know what I mean? You have to, you know, let pe give people life experiences, what they see and what they feel every day. And they and you'll touch them and they'll believe in you and they'll want to see you all the time because they know you're going to entertain them. They always waited on me. Or they know I'm coming to straighten it out. Right. And I feel like those are the best stories. You know, the ones that are taken, you know, where they take stuff from real life. Because those are the ones that resonate the most with audiences, I can say. So right. I, I really do, you know, appreciate those moments, you know, as a fan. And I really did love your run as the general manager. And I remember when Vicky Guerrero took over, I was so angry. I was just like, let Teddy Long do him. Like, let him let him be in charge. Like, stop trying to take a take but, stuff away from him. <laughs> that's how that was supposed to go. You yes, know what I mean? I know. <laughs> you know, take, take the good times away from you and make you star, wait on it, you know? But please mm -hmm. bring him back, please, you know? And that's how, you know, we made that work. Because some of the stuff that Vicky did to me, I told her to do it. Right. You know what I mean? I said, hey, why don't you do this, you know? And, I, and I'll be looking mean at you, you know, and don't worry. You know, because I could do... I could do stuff, you know, with facials. Vince McMahon always told me that the money was right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, sometimes I could make expressions. I wouldn't have to say nothing. You could see it in my face, you know? Right. So, you know, and that's, I was, I, I understood what my job was. So that's why I tried every night that I walked out, I intended to give it 100%. Yes, and then that led to you being inducted into the Hall of Fame. So, and I also saw that you were inducted into the NWA Hall of Fame as well. So... <laughs> I, they never told me nothing about the NWA Hall of Fame. I, oh, I, really? I, I to attend that, and nobody never told me nothing about that. So that's that's one on me. I didn't even know <laughs> that. Okay. Well, let's just talk about the WWE Hall of Fame. How did you feel when they um, gave you the news that you were going to be inducted? Well, you know, it, it was really a big surprise to me because with me, the way I looked at the Hall of Fame, you know, that was for wrestlers, you know, and people that have, you know, took a lot of bumps and put their bodies on the line every night. And, you know, people, you know, I thought, you know, that busted their butts, you know, to make this business what it is. And, you know, they deserve that, you know. And so I just never did look at myself like that. You know, I just knew I did my job. But, you know, to get that call from Vince and he told me that, you know, was that let me knew too that I was appreciated and I did my job and he and, and uh, I made him happy so that was a great honor for me because I I never would have dreamed it I never would even thought of it. in fact I didn't even think about it no more you know so it was really a big surprise to me and you know like I said let me thank Vince McMahon and the McMahon family because like I said they believed in me you know when a lot of people in WCW didn't believe in me and it wasn't because it was me, it was because of, you know, I'll just be straight up with you, it was the color of my skin. Mm -hmm. But God brought me through all that, you know what I mean? So I put that all behind me because that doesn't get us anywhere talking about the past, you know, let's live in the future. 
So, like I said, I was able to overcome all the obstacles and uh, make it for 15 years I was there. I had a great run. I worked on top the majority of the time I was there, even when I was a, a heel manager. I all still right. worked on top. I did the white boy challenge, you know, and I did the thing with Jerry Lawler where I told him he was just another cracker with a crown. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, we just, you know, everything I did, I had fun, man, with it. And so I made it work. So, and Vince was happy and long as the boss was happy, then I was, every, everything was cool with me. And the Hall of Fame, I thank them. And I especially thank all the fans for people that I entertained and people that liked me. Because without them, I wouldn't have never made it to the Hall of Fame. So I just thank everybody, all the people that are watching your podcast. You know, thank all you guys for everything. Thank you. Yes. So is it true that Ron, when Ron Simmons and JBL inducted you into the Hall of Fame, is that all those stories they told about you not really paying for anything, was that all true? Uh, pretty much true. Because <laughs> I, I remember when they said that, I was like, well, whoa. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm El Chipo, I can tell you that right now. But, um, you know, see, if you've been in the wrestling business for a long time, you know, you have to be cheap because, see, back, back in the day when we started in this business, you had to drive. You know, you had to figure that gas money out. And you had to figure that money out that you're going to go in there and buy your loaf of bread and some lunch meat so you can have some food to eat while you're driving. Mm -hmm. uh, where you going to stay tonight? The cheapest, a red roof. You know, you got to figure out the cheapest hotel because that's how you had to survive. You didn't make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I came up through that era. So when I started making money, you know, I started putting up saving, you know, like I'm saying, I ain't, I'm, my thing was I ain't going to be broke no more. Right. <laughs> yeah. I feel that and what's so funny is from the outside you sort of think that you know since you're seeing them on TV you think they're living in a lap of luxury but in actuality there's a lot going on you know they're trying to make ends meet just like we are on the outside right. I guess, yeah and, and, and that's why that's another thing too I'm glad you brought that up because TV you know what I mean a lot of people look at that the wrong way they think oh, they see somebody on TV they make amazing amazing dollars you know it don't work like that there's a but like when we bring people in, there's a SAG fee. There's a certain fee that you pay. They might, the, the highest some of them get maybe 750 <laughs> You know what I right. mean? But you, your plane and your hotel, all that, you know? So, you know, it, so it ain't no whole lot of money, man. So people have to watch that. I look at, look at Google. If you Google my net, my net on Google says that I'm worth $3 million. Can you believe that? Three million, that's what they're saying about me. And that's pretty bad. Cause they could get me robbed. Somebody could come to my house thinking that I'm really worth three million dollars and right. could, could, could hurt me and my family. Right. So not how can you put something out like that? Right. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. You have to be careful, you know what I mean? Because like I just you just can't believe half of this stuff. That's all I tell you. I'm not worth three million, y'all. I'm telling you. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you, um, in your view, how has the world of wrestling changed, you know, for the better um, in terms of what you've seen? Because I know you've seen a lot and you've seen it go through a lot of ebbs and flows. So how has well, the wrestling business changed? Well, I think the wrestling business changed after COVID. I think that changed the whole entire world. You know, after, you know, we were not able to really entertain the live audience, you know, you didn't got 50,000 or 70, 80,000 people there screaming and yelling. You know what I mean? That's that's what has changed. That's what you miss. You know, nothing's wrong with the virtual, but it's just not like that live audience. Right. And also, the other thing I think now is that uh, it's not the attitude era anymore. It's not what I experienced. You know what I mean? I went through the hardcore part where you had to get down, you know, and tell stories, you know, and make people believe, you know, and gave them a good show. 
And, you know, like I said, things are good now, you know what I mean? But in my opinion, I think that they, they could be a lot better. Oh, definitely. There's always room for improvement. And I definitely agree with that. But I know I am really happy, you know, that a lot of these wrestling promotions have, you know, turned everything around and figured out how to entertain us in the midst of the pandemic. But I do miss going to live shows because I've been to about 20 in my life. So, you know, I really do miss it when the shows do come here because it's a it's a fun time. I love it. And, and like you said, you mentioned a lot of promotions that have turned things around. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm running a company now. It's called SWE Fury. Yeah, it's on your shirts. We're based, yeah, we're based out of Texas and we're live. We're on the CW Network. We're on a lot of TV stations, uh, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and I think we're in Jacksonville, Florida. So what we're doing in SWE, we're taking you back, you know what I mean, to the old school. It's old Texas-style wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, had Mark Henry to come in for a couple of shows. In fact, we just did some, some this past weekend called WrestleFest. Mark Henry was there to help us out. Uh, Mark's going to start coming in and work behind the scenes, you know, and do some stuff for us and help with the young talent. Uh, Kevin Sullivan, I told you to bring him back. He's uh, doing the color commentating, plus him and I are doing the, the, the booking part of it. And uh, we've been had great shows, and we have great crowds. You can pull us up on YouTube and go to our SW page, and you can look and see. And we just had a sellout crowd, thousand people, just the other night. And like I said, with Texas, you know, the people wear the masks, you know. And like I said, some people, you know, they just don't believe this stuff. So, but I believe it. So, you know what I mean. So I just keep my mask on and wash my hands and try to stay safe. But you know, if people want to come out, you know, if there's no law saying that they can't do it, then they're gonna come out. So you right. know, you just. But, you know, it's, it's, I feel like it's every man for himself. But uh, I'd like for everybody to watch SWE. Like I said, you can pull us up on YouTube. We have a Facebook page, and you can see all the great stuff we're doing. We've got a show coming up March the 20th. We'll be in Canton, Texas. It's called Clash, uh, The Clash in Canton. Uh, Charlie Haas is there. He's our world heavyweight champion. Rodney Mack is the oh, wow. uh, TV champion. And uh, we just crowned the OMGs. I don't know if you ever heard these uh, any guys. They're the new uh, SWE Tag Team Champions. They're some brothers, and they're funny. It's, you know, they're really great. So, uh, like I said, I'm just having fun in SWE. And uh, if y'all want to holler at a player, find Teddy Long. Then that's where I'm at. All right. You know, it's good to hear that Charlie Haas is doing good because I haven't seen him since he was in the tag team with Shelton Benjamin back yeah, in the day. Well, yeah. <laughs> You know, well, after you know, Charlie and his brother were tag teams at one time. You know, and Charlie's brother died, and mm-hmm. that kind of took a lot out of Charlie. So Charlie just kind of faded out, but now he's back. You know, he's teaching a wrestling camp, and uh, he, he's got his kids with him and everything. So, and he's just happy now to be our champion. Uh, we just had a match this past uh, Saturday night. We were trying to go live on Facebook with our show, but we just started having problems. But if you can get the YouTube match with Charlie Haas and EPM Sim, boy, you they throw the house down. You you'll see you'll see what you saw when you was growing up. Okay. Right. So um you basically mentioned, you know, everything that you're doing now. And so what do you believe the future holds for you, Miss uh, Mr. Long? Well, uh my thing is this, you know, I'm just I'm kind of working at my own pace now. I love what I'm doing. I'm kind of like my own boss, you know what I mean? So I ain't stressed out like, you know, trying to catch a flight and ripping and running and driving, trying to make it to the next town. You know, every time I leave home though, I think I'm like, ah, oh, here we go again. You know, <laughs> stranded in the airport waiting to fly. I mean that 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 it was a lot of stress, you know what I mean? And it was really, really demanding because you in WWE, you got to be there. You got to be there. They don't want to hear that mess about what happened over here, what happened over there. This, you got to be there. 
So right now, you know, I'm I'm just giving you know what I've learned back to the young talent. Uh, these people at SWE, I had a chance to talk to them, and they brought me in to help them. And uh, you know, not blowing my own horn, but since I've been there, things have certainly turned around for them. Uh, houses, are, are, you know, our attendance is great. Our TV ratings are up, and so they're happy, and I'm happy. So. My future is just to give my knowledge to anybody that I can and to help and just do what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm happy. Uh, like I said, I'm working at my own pace. I'm my own boss. And when you can be your own boss, you know, you don't get no better than that. Right. Hopefully one day I'll get to that point. But we'll you see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Teddy Long, thank you so much for coming on the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. I've enjoyed talking with you and spending time with you and just tell the people where they can follow you on social media and online and all of that. All right, let me see here. I'm gonna have to look on some of my stuff myself. It's bad when you don't know your own stuff. Okay, on my Twitter, it's uh, at Teddy Player Long. Uh, Facebook is TeddyLong.com. And Instagram is Teddy Player Long. That's at Teddy Player Long, Twitter, TeddyLong.com, Facebook, and Teddy Player Long on Instagram. All right. Thank you so much for being an inspiration and for working um, in wrestling and working to make it better, sir. All right. Well, I'm going to tell you something, too. And uh, I want to thank you for having me. And I want you to know I don't do podcasts anymore. And the reason why I stopped doing it is because the last one that I did, somebody said, edited something and put something out that I didn't say. And mm-hmm. it caused a whole, you know, a lot of arguing. Mm-hmm. So I said, OK, if that's how these guys are going to be, then I'm done with it. Oh, so but for you, there was just this something about it. I said, let me do this podcast. And also, let me plug my own podcast, too. Uh, it's going to be starting. It's called Hold On A Minute Player. That's my podcast, and we're going to restart. We've already filmed, you know, already taped some good episodes, so it's going to be, we're going to be releasing those around the end of March. So it's Hold On A Minute Player. That's my podcast. But like I said, I wouldn't do, I don't do it for nobody, but it was just something that Birmingham, Alabama got me. Yeah. So I, <laughs> so I, I did this for you, and I don't do them anymore, I'm telling you. Well, I really appreciate it, sir. I'm so glad you were able to come on. And hopefully one day you'll come back to Birmingham, you know? Well, you never know. We, well, you SWE may be in Birmingham because I think that uh, Mississippi and uh, Alabama may be picking us up. So you never know. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, sir. All right. Thank you. And goodbye. Have a good day. You too. All right. Okay, so I was sitting with my friends one day and they asked me, Stephanie, how do you record your podcast? And I said, with the Anchor app on my phone. And they were like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, it's that simple. It is absolutely free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. And it will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from the podcast with no minimum listenership. And it's got everything you need to make a podcast in one place. They even have classes and stuff that you can listen to that will give you all kinds of good tips on what you need to do in order to make the best podcast. So if you want to do this, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app to get started. Okay, so kind of like with everything I did for Black History Month where I had segments, I just I was moved 
creatively to do to do things for um, Women's History Month. And I'm going to try to highlight someone at least every week in the month of March since this is Women's History Month. So now I'm going to talk about someone who is my favorite and someone who I believe is vastly underrated in terms of her work um, for the women's division or at the time the divas division and that's AJ Lee um, but of course now in real life she goes by AJ Mendez um, she was born in March of 1987 in Union City New Jersey which is where she was billed from when she was a wrestler she is of Puerto Rican descent and though her family dealt with poverty and mental illness and drug um issues and all the above she freaked um and they frequently moved between apartments motels or sometimes living in their car when they couldn't afford rent she had a amazing interest in video games comic books and of course professional wrestling through her brother and she had decided that she wanted to become a professional wrestler from watching it you know and bonding with her siblings and her favorite wrestler was Lita, who she actually wound up meeting at some point. And there's documented footage of that moment when she was a little kid and she actually met Lita and started crying because, you know, she actually really loved her. So that was amazing. And in 2005, she graduated from Memorial High School and she went on to attend New York University's Tisch School of the Arts, where she majored in film and television production. But um, due to family and financial problems, she uh, wound up having to drop out after six months of being enrolled. And after this, you know, she didn't let that, you know, keep her down. So she started working full time to afford wrestling training in 2007. It was trained by Jay Lethal. Um, whom a lot of diehard fans might know through his work in TNA and Ring of Honor Wrestling. In 2008, she joined a New Jersey-based promotion, Women Superstars Uncensored, and um, she won the WSU Women's Tag Team Championship with Brooke Carter and the annual WSU National Wrestling Superstars King and Queen of the Ring Tournament alongside Jay Lethal. And then in 2009, she also wound up leaving WSU to sign with WWE under a, under a um, developmental contract. And she wound up going to FCW at the time, which is Florida Championship Wrestling, where she went on to be a development, well, not a, yeah, a developmental talent. And in February 2010, she defeated Serena Deeb to win the Queen of the FCW title. And she also went on to win the FCW Divas Championship. And she was the first person at that point to win both titles that were meant for the women at that time. And in September of 2010, she participated in the third season of NXT, which was the game show version, where they featured um, mostly women during that season. And she wound up going coming in third place. And... In 2011, she wound up making her main roster debut as part of a tag team with Celeste Bonin, otherwise known as Caitlyn, um, and their team was known as the Chick Busters on SmackDown. And then they also had a back and forth feud with the Divas of Doom, which was Beth Phoenix and Natalia, and they lost frequently to them. And I remember around this time I was watching them and I wound myself and I felt like I was frustrated because I felt like AJ was really good and she impressed me early on, but she always wound up getting beat and she always wound up getting put in a sharpshooter by Natalia and she was bending her backwards all the time and bending her like a pretzel and I remember just being really angry about that like man come on AJ like I would just always root for her and Caitlyn all the time but they were just always losing to those two but it's okay they turned it around 
then in November of 2011, she she infamously was participating in an on-screen romance with Daniel Bryan, who was world heavyweight champion at the time. And she was always expressing her love for him by sometimes being destructive unto herself, um, taking bumps for him and getting hit for him, getting injured for him. And she would always express her love for him, but he would never express it back to her, which was basically kind of toxic. Actually, it's not kind of toxic. It is toxic. Don't do that, kids. Um and after he lost his match in about maybe i believe it was probably like seven seconds to sheamus at wrestlemania um he wound up breaking up with her because she gave him a good luck kiss which distracted him and allowed for him to lose and he basically you know verbally abused her and said that she was the reason of his she was the reason that his career took a downturn and so she even though her friends were trying to check on her and be there for her, she was snapping on them and you know yelling at them and beating them up which led to her um, developing a character that was crazy and mentally unstable. And then she participated in a love triangle with Kane, Daniel Bryan, and her soon-to-be husband um, in real life, CM Punk. And during her on-screen wet wedding with Daniel Bryan after he proposed to her and she said yes, on Raw 1000 in 2012, she became the first woman to be um, Raw general manager after leaving him at the aisle. And I mentioned, I believe maybe last year how um, my boyfriend did not want AJ to marry Daniel Bryan because he had a weird crush on her around the time he and I actually started talking to each other and he was just like oh my god I hope he doesn't marry her and I was like it's okay because um WWE weddings never truly go you know the way did you think they're gonna go and it said that's exactly what happened so she wound up dumping him you know for a new job and it was really cool to see her you know be a general manager like it was really cool but it didn't last because she got caught up in some romantic scandal with John Cena and then um Vicky Guerrero and Dolph Ziggler wound up you know manipulating her out of her job and they wound up and she wound up taking over her job and wound up getting fired and she wound up even though she wanted to be with John Cena or pretending like she wanted to be with John Cena she cost him a title by pushing him off of a ladder and even while dressing his t-shirt too like I remember this like vividly um it was really crazy and then you know after a certain point she and um Dolph Ziggler hooked up and she was a valet for him. And then this brought along the um, the debut of Biggie Langston. And they became like a little stable. And she was a valet for him. And so um, she wound up winning the Divas Championship in 2013 by defeating Caitlyn. By getting into her head. By making her think that she had a um, secret admirer. And Biggie revealed himself to be that secret admirer. But then wound up breaking her heart. And she wound up winning the Divas title at um, Payback at, in 2013. And then um, around the time during her reign in August of two, in August the 26th, she gave her famous slash infamous pipe bombshell in which she called the then cast of Total Divas cheap, interchangeable, expendable, and useless women as a means of challenging them to get focused on the title as wrestlers and not get so focused on the glam of being reality TV stars. Because at this point, it felt like um, on Raw, they were putting a lot of the women on television for the sake of filming stuff for Total Divas as opposed to really taking them seriously as athletes. And I believe at one point they had approached AJ about being on the show and she said no. And 
she also mentioned in her novel that Vince McMahon actually told her to do this promo and not tell the girls about it. And so she stood there and basically ran them down and said that they were, you know, women who turned to reality television because they, they were never, you know, that good at being actresses and they just weren't talented enough to be champion. And she said that you will never lace up my Chuck Taylors, even though you guys walk down rare carpets in your thousand dollar ridiculous heels. And it clearly made all these girls mad. You know, it was the Bella twins. It was Eva Marie at the time. It's all read everything. It was Naomi and Cameron and Natalia and Jojo. Like all of these girls were on Total Divas. Like this is when the show first started. And AJ was just focused on being a great wrestler and being a champion. But at the time, it was almost like just sort of fed into the notion that no one was really taking the women's division that seriously. So she was trying to light a fire under these girls and let them know, like, yo, like you need to be going after this instead of going after all this superficial fame. And even the Bella twins, you know, have talked about how much they really didn't like that um, segment at all in their book, I believe. But, you know, it's been, you know, it's sort of like a back and forth thing where people, you know, say different things or whatever. But I thought it was cool when it happened. So, I mean, whatever. And it wound up leading to all the women in the Divas division to sort of, you know, come at AJ like super hard and extra hard. Um, But they could never win because she always had the upper hand. And then she also had Tamina as her bodyguard so that was also a thing that she had you know up her sleeve as the x factor so in 2014 she became the longest reigning divas champion at the time and she successfully defended her title um at wrestlemania 30 marking the very first time the divas title was defended at a wrestlemania which is sad but that's literally the truth um and then she proceeded to feud with newcomer and nxc call-up page after she won the title the night after wrestlemania 30 um in historic fashion which i thought was really amazing because i had seen page wrestling nxt and she was amazing so they feuded back and forth to sort of play like a hot potato type of deal with the divas title with each other and then aj proceeded to feud with nikki bella and then she lost the title after her third divas title reign and then in 2015 she went on to criticize wwe's treatment of his female um wrestlers in terms of screen time and pay because at the time the women were moving a lot of you know the merchandise sales that wwe shop you know depends on but yet and still they were still being given a fraction of the screen time that the men were getting in comparison and a fraction of the pay and um she mentioned this on social media and then stephanie mcmahon and Vince mcmahon you know um said you know publicly that they that they heard her and they appreciated everything that she had to say then in march of 2015 she returned to help Paige from being attacked by the bella twins and they went on to fight them in a tag team match at wrestlemania 31 and then she would wrestle her final match the night afterward in a six-woman tag and then announce her retirement on social media with her chuck taylors and a suitcase much to um the devastation you know much to the devastation of my boyfriend and i because he was very sad about her retiring Um, But she wound up retiring because she felt like she had um, fulfilled all of her goals and because she had permanent damage to her cervical spine. So it had to do with health um, issues. And it's also rumored to believe that she left because she didn't necessarily like being in the middle, being caught in the middle between um, WWE and the soured relationship that they had with her husband, CM Punk, and how he left the company. So 
Um, to mention her accomplishments, she's a three-time Divas Champion, a three-time Slammy Award winner. She won Diva of the Year twice and then won Kiss of the Year with John Cena one year. She's also a Pro Wrestling Illustrated Woman of the Year um, for 2012 and 2014. And she's a New York Times bestselling author of her memoir, Crazy is My Superpower, How I Triumphed by Breaking Bones, Breaking Hearts, and Breaking the Rules in 2017, which I definitely recommend. Please read it. It's a good read. And she's a co-writer of the comic book series glow versus the baby face and she's a major advocate for mental health awareness because she was diagnosed with bipolar um disorder and she maintains it you know every you know every day and she's not quiet about her struggles either and she was definitely a great inspiration to you know those girls who were interested in things like comic books and anime and video games and stuff like that and of course she's married to cm punk um, and they've been married since 2014 and they're a really cute couple, even though, you know, they're really cute together. So I really love them as a couple. Um, and she also, um, has the numerical date of her first Divas Championship win tattooed in tally marks on the back of her neck. And she just was a great trailblazer in terms of, you know, female wrestlers who don't necessarily fit the archetype of the cute blonde model type or whatever not shaming those women who do look like that but during the time in which she came up it just seemed like they had sort of like a archetype in their mind for what they wanted they always wanted you know the woman to be sexy and you know to sort of cater towards the male gaze and it seemed like AJ Lee cater towards the male gaze but then also you know cater towards the female gaze in terms of being an athlete and wanting to actually fight and be a good example you know for women who were a little bit different and a little bit quirky so um I love everything that she was about and I feel like she was far ahead of her time like I feel like if she had came in WWE during this time it would have been amazing so um, a lot of people online really hope that maybe one day she'll come back, but I'm not necessarily sure she will. But even if she doesn't, you know, she did the best, she did the best she could, you know, during the time in which she was there. But if she does come back, I'll be very happy about that. So that's the end of this, um, Women's History Month highlight of AJ Lee. And now we're going to go to the conclusion. right so thank you guys for listening to this new episode of the hardy wrestling podcast and i want to send an extra special thank you to teddy long for coming on my show um it's a really big huge deal for me and it's a huge honor to have him on my um podcast because i used to watch him all the time as a kid so to have someone who i used to watch on television and someone who is such a great inspiration and such a strong you know og now in the wrestling game to come on my show just means the world to me um, as a fan and also as a content creator. So thank you. Thank you so much, sir. Um, continue to support him and everything he's got going on with his wrestling promotion, SWE Fury. And um, continue to follow him, you know, in all of his social media platforms as um, Teddy Play Along. And um, if you want to continue to support the Hardy Wrestling Podcast, you can follow me on Instagram at Hardy Wrestling Podcast, on Twitter at Hardy Wrestle Pod, and on Facebook at Hardy Wrestling Podcast as well. And you can listen to the podcast everywhere you get your podcasts as op- Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, um, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Anchor, um, Podbean, everywhere you get your podcast, you can listen to me everywhere. 
So until next week, you know, um, I hope you're staying safe and doing whatever you can to, you know, duck and dodge everything that this Rona's got going on. And I hope you're, you know, being your best self and being the light of the world because there's so much darkness going on. Um, I just hope you're, you know, living your best life and being your best self and doing your best to, you know, make the world a better place. So until next time, this is your girl, Stephanie from the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. Bye, y'all. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.